Welcome to the show. This is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. I'm Pat Burns. So the past couple episodes, we've been all about design. We talked to Trudy Watt, professor of um, architecture, and I can't remember her program her program name, but she's uh, architecture and design and, and working with transdisciplinary stuff. And then we talked to Mr. Dan Jones, who did all the awesome uh, mid-journey and Gina Lee stuff in his classroom. And so we've been thinking a lot about design. So we decided to get an actual designer on the show who's not attached to education anyway, although he is educated, highly educated. So we've got Mr. David Miller um, that's in from the West Coast. We're trying to get our West, West Coast love again, I think on this show, Pat. Um, so coming in from San Francisco, uh, he's an industrial designer. And uh, David, do you want to add anything to that like really minor run up of <laughs> who you yeah, are? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add that I, I am a Midwest kid at heart. I grew up in the Midwest, but I'm, I'm uh, now a West Coast transplant. Um, and yeah, I'm an industrial designer. I work in tech in San Francisco um, for a, a tech startup. And I do industrial design, which is basically designed for physical objects. Think about architecture, but at a much smaller scale. Phones, computers, uh, furniture, anything in between. Okay. So Trudy said something to the effect of, and this is Professor Trudy Watt. I, I asked her like, you know, I was asking her about design and, and she kind of paused and she said, design is the creation of possibilities. What is, what is design for you? Hmm. Um, I think design starts with the creation of possibilities, certainly. But to me, the design process is like, very much rooted in narrowing down those possibilities and, and translating them into an output that makes sense. I mean, realistically, in a very consumerist sense, um, we are making objects, products, consumables. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd say that's probably how I would design define design. So would you say it's like whittling down or is it iterating? Part of it's iterating, part of it's it's whittling down. Uh, I'd say like broadly, I would describe what I do as synthesis. So I, in my job specifically, I act as a liaison sort of between a consumer and my company. And within my company, there's mechanical engineers and electrical engineers that have manufacturing goals. And there's a product manager that has sales goals. Um, and, you know, there's a target market and a target consumer. And I kind of balance all of those things to come up with the best possible product. And, and that's a, you know, that, there's a lot of teamwork that goes into that, um, but it's a lot of translation. Can so, I ask kind of just a, uh, just a generative sort of question? How, how did you end up in that particular field? Because was that something that you trained for in your studies or was that something you kind of, you took like a lateral move or some sort of, I don't know, tangent or something like that? How, how did you get to where you're at? Yeah, so I studied industrial design specifically, which is, it's a pretty narrow, well, it's, it's a broad field, but a pretty like narrow course of study. Uh, there are not very many programs in the country that teach it. Um, I studied at the University of Cincinnati, which is um, one of the best programs in the nation for it. Um, we do a co-op program. So you do a semester of school, semester of work, semester of school, back and forth. So you kind of have industry experience imbued into your college education. Um, so. I ended up there. I, I knew that I wanted to do this when I was a kid. I was like 13, maybe the first time I um, visited the University of Cincinnati. Um, and oh, wow. was, was so, dead on that. So you knew about industrial design that early on? 
Yeah, uh, I don't remember exactly how I figured out what it was. But uh, when I was a kid, I was very interested in art and very interested in engineering, problem solving. And I wanted something that was kind of a, a cross between those. And so that's how mm-hmm. I, I found industrial design um, and stayed on that track all the way till now for over cool. a decade now. Cool. Let me see a broad question about design. Um, and you're, you're saying you kind of do synthesis and there's, there's the product manager and there's the user, but the, but the end goal is you're making a product. Yeah. So does, does the design of the product push the user in a particular direction? Yeah, inevitably. Um, I think, uh, so the way I think about this, there are kind of two facets to it. One is the user already has a direction. The user has a lot of historical context. Maybe they've used similar products before. Um, Maybe they, you know, there's cultural context. They have kind of an understanding of how they want to interact with something. So part of our job is interpreting that and making a product that fits into those expectations. Uh, and then part of it is any anything that's new um, in the interaction, um, specifically, usually, we kind of guide very subtly on how to do that. Um, that being said, I think products in general have a lot of influence over users, um, both you know, emotionally, but also physically. Um, and so we, we do have a lot of influence, but it's not um, something that I think people people think about a lot. I think you think about an object really in a, in a functional sense and not so much in an emotional sense. Would you say, what, what is heavier, the, the, the emotional sense or the, would you say, you didn't say, the pragmatic sense the pragmatic sense yeah like so for, so that when the person gets the whatever that was designed is it do you, do you think it's more emotional or more pragmatic that's uh, interesting i think a lot of purchasing decisions are very emotional um and we kind of masquerade them as being very pra- pragmatic uh, i work for a tech company and you know we work in a very quantitative way. That's kind of the way that the tech world uh, or, or really the consumer world in general works. Um, and where m- my job really is to bring in a little bit of that softer side, um, a, a little bit of the emotional side uh, into, into the design of a product. So when I'm thinking about how do we design this, I'm not just thinking about how do we make this the best possible um, product to solve a problem, which is a huge part of my job. But then I think the other half is how do I make this an object that someone is attracted to? That when it sits, if I'm I'm the per- person thinking about purchasing this product and it's sitting on my desk at work and I open up the package, like, how do I feel about it? How do I, like, how does this make me excited? Can I, um, how familiar are you with like chat GPT and all this AI stuff coming out? Yeah, I, I'm, I've used most of it. I wouldn't say that I'm super intimately familiar. I've played around a little bit with, with using all of it for work, actually. Um, I just, we have some, um, design research coming up that, uh, I'm spearheading and we're trying to get some feedback on one of our products. And I use chat GPT to help me formulate a bunch of, of questions, um, for users of the product to kind of distill their likes and dislikes and try to keep it you know, broad and open-ended, but also targeted. Um, so that was interesting. And I think maybe the best use so far I've found for AI in my workflow. I've also played around with mid journey and just like purely, I, a lot of what I do is I sketch on a piece of paper, 
Um, you know, so I have, I have parameters in my mind. We're going to make X, Y, Z, right. And, um, you go figure out what it's going to look like, how the pieces are going to come together, how you're going to install it, what it's going to feel like to use, what that, yeah, what that user experience is like. Mm -hmm. And I sit mm -hmm. and I sketch and I build concepts in CAD and I render it out. And so I have like 2D images of things that don't exist yet. And we find, you know, an idea that everyone's excited about and on board with, and then we go build it. Um, so I played around a little bit with, um, with mid journey and just, Hey, if I give mid journey, some of the parameters that I would usually work with, like what mm -hmm. does it spit out? You know, in my job, I design, um, security cameras, um, and a lot of other things, but security cameras is one of them. And so just like telling mid journey, Hey, design a security camera in, you know, this style and just right. see what comes out. Um, and that was hmm. interesting. <laughs> Okay, so it's like almost like an IG. Like a lot of our students talk about using ChatGPT as for brainstorming and brainstorming, brainstorming <laughs> and 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 iterating ideas. It sounds like you're kind of you're kind of using it that way. But mm -hmm. I want to jump back to like in your design head, like you're a designer that you know is thinking about like getting the getting the thing into the the people's hands, right? And so yeah. <clears throat> I'm assuming at OpenAI, there's some people just like you that are working for OpenAI. And when they put out chat GPT, they wanted to have some sort of emotional effect, right? Because if, if there's no, like, because you said like, you know, we, we like to think it's pragmatic, but you think usually products are about emotion. So like with your design brain, your design eye, like, what do you think that chat GPT is, is doing to try to get us emotionally? Hmm. I kind of feel like in some ways, it feels like the emotion is intentionally designed out um, okay. to me in interacting with it. It feels okay. very um, uh, removed, uh, like intentionally removed. Um, and I think that that's a, probably a targeted decision. And this is just, you know, yeah, my guessing. opinion, conjecture, right? right. Um, but I think that that's for people interacting with AI, that's probably the scariest part for the everyday consumer is the more emotional something feels, the more human it feels. If you think about a product, right, you want a product to feel human. You want it to feel uh, like a physical product, it wants to feel integrated into your life. I think people are so scared about the possibility of AI that there's maybe a targeted stance to, to make it feel separate from humanity in a way. So are you saying then, like, uh, if we take something as ubiquitous as, say, like a cell phone, you know, most of us tend to think of it almost as like a, an additional appendage because we have it all the time. Right. And you're saying that that the designers of, of whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone or whatever are so intentional that they want to want you to feel as if you always need to have it on you or it's always a, a it's just an extension of, of part of your identity yourself. Right. Whereas ChatGPT doesn't seem to almost be divorced from that. Um, so when you use it, it does feel kind of not, not rudimentary, but uh, maybe there's a coldness to it, perhaps. Uh, is, is that essentially kind of essentially what you're trying to say? Yeah. I, and I, although I actually I would put ChatGPT and an iPhone, for example, kind of in the same boat where the product of ChatGPT is not the tool, it's the output. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing with an iPhone, right? The product is not that, that I'm interacting with every day. I'm not necessarily and i'm interacting with my phone but it's a means to an end i'm interacting with all the content that's on my phone um so i think maybe a, a better example of like um something that's more emotionally tied to you is is a, is a car right 
where mm -hmm. uh, it's super customizable. There are lots of different options. Um, it has, like it says something about who you are, where a phone, you'll see, like think about um, early, early cell phones, right? That they mm -hmm. slid and they had keyboards and there are all these novel ways of interacting with them. And the BlackBerry had the scroll wheel. Um, and that's like consistently gotten pared down and down and down to just like a sheet of glass. And that is just right, a platform. Right. So I think that's kind of how I think about chat GPT is it is as minimal as possible. It's a, like a, a, a pane of glass uh, through which you interact with this world on the well, other side. Well, which is interesting, hmm. though, because as you were talking about that, I was wondering, and, and uh, this is really a question for both of you, um, because some of the, the earlier versions of, of, say, or things that uh, like, say, Google Bard's putting out or. Uh, you know, Mike, Mike's talked a lot about pseudo write, which is this kind of writing assistant, or we talked about this one in yeah. education called, uh, Conmigo, which is basically a, a personal assistant, if you will, for mm -hmm. students that it seems like that they're moving in the direction of trying to, yeah. uh, personalize it and make it feel more kind of human like, right. So is that, are you finding that you're down in your head saying, yeah, okay. So do you, you're finding that that seems to be the direction that maybe all this AI stuff is, is going or, or no. Yeah, I think it's going to get more and more human as we sort of adapt to it and get used to it in our lives. Um, and I think maybe a key difference here is when I'm going on ChatGPT, I'm choosing to use AI. Well, and and I think there, there are other cases, these other examples where people are, are choosing to use AI, but like, think about... Um, I, like an AI assistant that answers a phone for you or something like that. And they want that to be as human as possible because they don't really want you to know that you're interacting with an AI. Right. Um, where when it's like, I know that I'm interacting with an AI, it feels weird if it's trying to mirror human behavior to me maybe right. now. But I think we're, it's going to get well, so ubiquitous that that it's going to get more and more. Well, and it's it's interesting uh, you say that because I, I just shared something with Mike the other day. It was literally yesterday. and. Uh, apparently there's some people at Google who are creating something called Google. Was it, uh, oh shoot. Now the name's Mindstorm? out of my head. Was it Mindstorm? No, it wasn't Mindstorm. It's like Mind Google. Oh hell. No, 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 no. Now I got to look at it. I'm going to check out my text. Okay. Uh, but it was, it was a well, here, why, why, why you look at your text? Let yeah, me, yeah. Let me, let, let me, so I, I read somewhere so <laughs> on some internet site or on my phone, it's, you know, cause everything blends together. And this is probably maybe, maybe a decade ago in, Oh, here we go. Uh, this, someone was talking about like autonomous vehicles mm -hmm. and, and the, the, I don't know if it's a design person that, that answered or just a, a business person. And they said, well, what, what really happens is that people have to get eased into stuff. Like, yeah. like, like first you had like, you know, you had cruise control, right? Right. You had like, you went from manual cars to automatic transmissions and then you had cruise control and then they added like another layer of safety device and you know and now you've got like corrective steering and like eyesight you know that helps you like stay in your lane and we're creeping up towards a car that drives itself because people can't make this shift that quickly which kind of echoes um what you're saying david about like like maybe it was designed out which i hadn't thought about because because like i'm always like so kind of well a couple of things like one i keep on wanting to talk like talk about chat gpt like it's like it's a human like i want to anthropomorph morph i can never say anthropomorphize. that anthropomorphize right. <laughs> it's, it's like saying like market mortgage mortgage right <laughs> like it's just a hard unique new york <laughs> you just can't say right. it right but i don't i always want to give it a human quality or you know, like originally i said you know please thank you mm -hmm. like all that and then and then 
the the three three point five maybe it was just slow, but I felt like it it was typing fast enough to keep me engaged at the answer, but not so fast that I couldn't read it. And so I kept it, it was almost like getting, I'd get sucked back into the response. Mm-hmm. Where where now it's a lot faster than it just spits an answer out or or Google's right. bar just just like doesn't show you it thinking or you know, it thinking right mm-hmm. it's algorithm uh, churning I guess and it just drops it so I I, I kind of thought that was designed and to, to create not a human feel but uh like look how cool this is like you know don't almost like a cliffhanger right type thing what what do you think of that. So uh, just broadly, I'll, I'll tie this back into design really quickly. This is a, a super common philosophy in design, uh, and I'm sure it exists elsewhere too. I've just only heard it in the context of design, what we call Maya or most advanced yet acceptable. Um, mm. And so it's, it's that concept of with the driving cars, right? You're innovating incrementally and you're sort of indoctrinating people into this new way of interacting with something that they're super familiar with. Um, mm. So I think that ties like really nicely into what I do a lot in design. I'll give you an example of, of that from, from my work. Um, so recently I launched a product with my company. It's an, an intercom and we are super tech forward company. Um, you know, very, um, very San Francisco, um, bunch of software engineers. We're doing cutting edge stuff. That's kind of our, our IP, right? Um, but our consumers, are not tech people are you think about who uses an intercom on a day-to-day basis it's literally everyone it's a grandma picking her kid up from school as much as it is a you know silicon valley ceo coming into his office um and so when i'm designing this intercom i have to think about how do i make this feel modern unique uh have a like a, a new sort of ux to it that's better than all the intercoms that have have existed in the past but also you know innately how to interact with it. And so the intercom that I designed looks, there some, takes a lot of visual cues from an intercom. It looks sort of like a traditional intercom you would see. You know, it's a sheet metal face. It's got perf holes in it. It doesn't have to, but it does because we're kind of taking cues from what already exists to start to integrate people into this new UX experience that we will then develop on. Yeah, so there's got to be an intuitiveness to it, essentially, that people can pick it up relatively quickly, uh, so they can use it, and you know, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, some some people are saying that they think that our our phones will it, soon enough not even have any apps on them; it'll just be a prompt, and you'll just and you'll just speak to it. You'll say, right. like I play me music that sounds like whatever," and and the, and there'll be an AI algorithm that creates the program or writes the code instantly. So you, you just have a piece of glass, mm-hmm. right? You know, and you won't have all the apps. It will just, it will make the apps as needed. Yeah, I think there's uh, this idea. I was talking to a buddy about this actually this morning about the idea of like AI prompting or controlling AI. And that's right. only going to get better over time. Right now it's it's very segmented, like chat GPT and mid-journey exist separate right. from each other. And I can go into chat GPT and say, hey, write me a mid-journey prompt. And then I have to bring that into mid-journey mm-hmm. and then, you know, output something else. And there's still a little bit, you know, in with the whole natural language thing, there's still a little bit lost in in translation. But when it's, you know, when I'm saying design an intercom for my company and I have to go in and describe this is the ethos of my company, these are our consumers, blah, 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 blah. You know, right. I think eventually there's going to be an AI that 
can just look at our website and synthesize, you know, broadly um, who our customers are, you know, what the market is like, and then input that into a, a different AI. And so it's like this uh, kind of the, the, the translation between them that uh, seems to me like a, a, a huge opportunity space moving forward. Yeah, there. I think they're they're they're. It become a, your company would have a proprietary like large language model that right. would have all of the data and would. Yeah, they, they don't want to do that now. Is they don't want to just. They, they could, but they don't want to. They don't want to through the API. They don't want to dump all their all of your company information into OpenAI's OpenAI's right. system. Yeah. Um. I, I Bing Microsoft Bing by the way is kind of combined now where you can have you can you can get into Dolly. Basically, like and and generate images and drag them over to documents now. So that's starting to be integrated. Pat, what wow. were you going to say? Uh, well, I guess I was just trying to think through because uh, I appreciate the the point that you're bringing in terms of like cell phones maybe having just you just throw out a prompt and it just does it for you. I think there, there, that could happen. Uh, I think it's also true too though that sometimes uh, the tech world will come up with ideas and in one respect it sounds cool and great and like novel and, and yeah let's do that and other times it's like it's just not going to work. So like. When you're describing that, I was thinking about Google Glass, right? And how uh, they had the, the you know the glasses where they'd have the internet right there, and then it just came to be that no one really wanted to interact with the internet in that way. And yeah. so it, it could be that that uh, perhaps uh, having a prompt is the way that people wanted to to have their phone work. Or it could be that they really value the tactileness to it, right? The actual kind of like touching and moving stuff around. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm just saying. It just it'll be interesting to see how 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 it evolves. Um, uh, and so that was, it was just more of a more of a, a quick comment off of that. Um, so real quickly though, there was the the point though before about um, kind of the anthropomorphizing. I think I got it. <laughs> uh, the, the 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 program, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, the um, program though is called Google Soundstorm. Uh, I sent the 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 link in the chat. That I don't know if I hit play on this thing, if you'll be able to hear it or not, or That's if right. it's better if Mike does it. But I, but to hear it is really quite something. I actually put up on our Facebook group the other day uh, for those of for our listeners in case they want to check it out if if this audio doesn't work here. But it's just a twenty second clip. What I thought was kind of brilliant about it is I at first I'm like oh it sounds not perfect, but like dang it it sounds like the intonations there's it was actually they're Australian accents and they're basically just speaking and it sounds like a conversation and it kind of so blew my mind a little bit. You want to so, do this one, Pat? Yeah, if you yeah if you just hit play there, we'll see if it'll take if it our audio will pick it up. And soundstorm. Um, no, I must have missed it. What's what's it about? Well, it's a parallel decoder for efficient audio generation. Uh, so it can even be oh, used yeah. to generate dialogues. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like this one was generated by Soundstorm. Wait, what? Like you could hear there's like hints of like stealthiness, but but you could actually hear people mm. speaking that way too. Like it's yeah. it, it's it's pretty impressive. And then I thought, well, gosh, what if you if you were to do? And Mike, we've talked about this about how, like, if you get your own voice, you, like, we could literally, as educators, we could say, well, here's my voice. I'm going to type out whatever my script is, or have ChatGPT create it, and I can have it create my lesson. And mm -hmm. I don't even actually have to. I could just video it and just be like, here, you go, go listen to this. You're and then we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, does that mean that I get a margarita at, at some I, beach then? And I can. <laughs> No, it means Do I you get my pension your, still. <laughs> it means you license your voice. Just like there you the, go. There like you Grime, go. The Grimes is doing and um, like the voice stamping, like the voice modeling. Have you heard about that, David? Have you seen no, that? I haven't. So, like, you, you, if you had the, if you had the right audio equipment, well, if if you if you had the right, I guess if you knew how to do it through whatever the 
don't know if it's GitHub or what, but you could literally like write your own rap or song and then you can get, um, basically you can like stamp it with like whatever rapper or singer and it will actually sound just like that person, hmm. which is pretty Very crazy. Fine. Um, all right. So besides the design stuff, you're also a photographer. Yeah. So, um, and it's interesting cause I know that you're the photography that you were doing, I think for a while you were doing film and then you were just doing, uh, um, digital cameras. I, I think if I remember correctly, um, you're, you know, I know you do stuff with the phone like everybody else, but that's not really what you're going to use if you're going to take photos. Right. Um, and so I'm kind of, and, and, and you've played around mid journey and I suspect probably Dolly too. Like, what do you think all this AI is going to do to the photography world? Yeah. So, uh, I think that brings up a really interesting conversation around art versus design and kind of how AI affects mm -hmm. one or, or both of those, um, differently. Um, so yeah, my background, I started as a digital photographer. I shoot almost entirely film now. Actually, I'll just say entirely film. I don't even have a battery for my digital camera anymore. Um, so that's my background. Um, I think some, some interesting context. I have uh, a friend who has a huge Instagram following. His uh, Instagram handle is at Gossip Goblin, uh, if you want to check it out. Um, he is an artist, also a designer. I worked with him at a, at a previous job. Um, and he does incredible mid journey, you know, quote unquote photography now. Um, it's like a recent development for him. Um, and you can still kind of tell that it's AI generated almost cause it's like too surreally perfect. Um, but he's kind of created his own style and there's just, I mean, the, the images that, that he outputs are incredible. Um, and so what's scary about that is the amount of work that it takes to create an image like that with AI, I'm assuming, you know, I don't know his process, but I'm assuming is, is way, way, way less than it would with a camera and Photoshop and all of the hours and hours of retouching. Uh, I still do a product, like I, I shoot product photography for work. Um, I take photos of our products and studio environments for marketing and, and things like that. And, you know, to take photos of three products for launch, it's probably a 12 hour studio day. And then it's maybe 30 or 40 hours of post-processing. And that's right. just really simple, like one thing in a frame. Right. And he's doing, um, just like incredible, think about it, like fashion campaign photography, like, you know, where there's tons of different elements and yeah colors and everything is retouched perfectly um, and so i think that's that's scary in photography and also in art right because in both cases um for so long what we've valued in in the art world in general is like the process of creating something um mm -hmm. when ai can just take over that process then right. that value goes away so um why I think Gossip Goblin, my, my friend Zach, who, who runs that account, is a great example, is his value hasn't ever been in the creation of the image. He's a phenomenal artist. He does crazy hand sketches that you'll also see on his Instagram page. Um, and so he's like, you know, technically trained in art, uh, is a, was a sculpture major in college. Uh, he's a badass. 
what was that? He's a badass. Oh yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> but his uh, his IP is his storytelling, and so you go in, and I'm sure that that's part of what translates to these amazing images that he's getting out of AI because he's writing incredible prompts. But if you go in and any one of those images on his page, you'll see um, a story that goes with it that he's written, and that has what had like that is what has skyrocketed like the popularity of his page is it's captivating. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's threatening. AI is threatening to the art world in the sense that it's taking over what we have seen as the value of art, that like creation aspect of it. But I think it's maybe highlighting a, a different aspect of, of art, which is that the, emotional the storytelling the the translating it's like how do we use the tool what are we saying with the tools mm-hmm. yeah I, i'm kind of flipping through uh your your friends you want to you want to share that pat yeah sure his, make sure we're looking at the Instagram right one page yeah well there was the i initially pulled up his twitter and then i realized uh he had the instagram as well so i pulled that up as well um and i was just kind of flip, flip through and, and you mentioned the storytelling element which kind of caught my wow, attention these are- great yeah i I love this image here i think it's fantastic it it looks like a a woman uh ermquai i think that's that's not mongolia it's near mongolia i feel like um uh, central asia was that well okay but but here's the thing it's like if you click on this image it's like it looks like uh hot air balloons right and Mm -hmm. they're sitting on like a cart with a camel what have you um and they mentioned eurasia and then they mentioned ulaanbaatar which is actually Mongolia, I'm almost certain of it. Um, in any event, it, your point is that there's this whole story and all these like different images that come along with it, which are just <laughs> fantastical. I they're they're fun, but also like kind of crazy, and I don't know what to make of them. Yeah, but it's, but it's I'm intrigued by it for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's a very much a visual adventure, and it, and it's it's whimsical. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I mean. Yeah, it's just it's kind of, you kind of have to see. I, I don't know yeah, how, how do you begin to describe it, um, but they're a lot of fun. So I could see how and, that and story he stories really, with really, these. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you look, yeah. So if you looked at a side here, Mike, you, you've got the description yeah. here, right, and then explanations and what have you, which is just kind of fun, uh, and it adds a whole another dimension to it. I think otherwise, it's just kind of like, oh, that's a kind of trippy sort of image. But <laughs> what do I do with it? Um, yeah. Uh, that that's that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So, um, I just I saw a thing today, David and Pat. I think I I sent you a, a text, Pat. Um, I forgot who on Twitter posted it, but it, it was a writing person, like a, a first year comp writing person, teacher, and they had highlighted some section from a someone's scholarly work in like nineteen ninety from nineteen ninety four two thousand four maybe it's two thousand four. But basically, the paragraph that was highlighted said something to the effect of, um, like the, the the college writing stuff was in trouble because years ago they shifted to writing is not like being literature, but writing is being like this function that you have to have in order to get by in society. And so, like university programs shifted, and you have to take writing classes because writing for work. And since that stance was it, kind of like I guess with art, you were saying it was like the value you put into it. Mm-hmm. But when you take writing as literature, right, or poetry, there's a whole different reason you're doing it as opposed like to just 
writing because you need to be able to do it for your job. And, and so if it's true that the writing that colleges do and high schools do is just for jobs, then, then we're in trouble as far as the occupation because we're, well, we're not teaching the right thing because, because the AI programs are going to do it for us. Right. Although well, some people have pointed out that they really don't want to chat GPT emails because they just want the one line like FU email like real quick response to get an answer. And they don't want a multi-paragraph, super polite email explaining why their idea is, is bad. You know, <laughs> so maybe we'll, maybe it seems we'll get like, so awash like, in AI that we won't want, won't want to do it at all. But, but it, sorry, it Pat, seems like, but, it seems like that shift that you're talking about though, which is, that's really, I, I don't know if I'd heard that before, but that helps maybe explain why it is that there's a, there's all this concern because that, that, then what we're doing is trying to train people to, or students to be efficient and to create product rather than, focus on the process. And, and I don't, I, I don't know where the you guys are both nodding. Well, yeah, exactly. Yes, precisely. And so, but, and I think as educators, we would prefer process in the art, so to speak. Um, but that shift would almost demand something separate from, from that entirely. Uh, and, and that within itself is in terms of a value or, or even kind of like what's our mission as educators, at least as literature uh, uh, teachers, uh, you know, would be drastically different from what maybe we thought we were getting ourselves into. Um, and, and, and it would seem to me that it also means that voice is less important if you're going to focus on efficiency and you're going to focus on products. Like who, who really cares, which is why a chat GPT email that's kind of a stupid email can go out because it's like, you're just trying to convey an idea really quickly, fine, no big deal. But if you're trying to craft uh, a, a message that's worth hearing, right, that's another thing altogether, uh, it seems to me. Uh, I don't know, David, you're nodding. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. To, to, yeah, uh, so many. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> I, I agree. Voice is important now more than ever. Uh, I think the the writing thing really resonates with me because I, I learned to write in school post-1994, right? So um, my education was very much formatted around how do you write in the context of having a job? How do you communicate succinctly and efficiently and effectively? Um, and I found no joy in that, but I write on my own for joy. I write, you know, poetry just because, and that was like how I learned to be a good writer. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Like, isn't it funny? funny? It works. It's yeah. so, yeah. Right. Because mm -hmm. I think that the, what makes you a good writer, what makes you a good artist, what makes you a good designer, I'll tie it all together here is, sensitivity to people having some sort of stance one and then two some sort of idea how people are going to react to the things that you have to say mm -hmm. um and and how to frame them because of that and that's not something that you can well i won't say it's not something that you can computerize because who knows <laughs> well but um, but isn't it is it wouldn't it be fair to say the word that really stood to me there though is you mentioned joy and, and yeah. the reason why that stood out to me is because, because I, I I used to write more poetry, and, and because it would give me joy, give me pleasure, just to write, just to think about it, but it also forced mm -hmm. me to be really meticulous with like, well, wait, I want to say, I want to have uh, a, a line break here, not there, or right. I want I want this word instead of another word, or I want this punctuation as opposed to another, and and that and those small minor details seem insignificant outside of myself, but in my own head they mattered. And, and because they mattered, um, you know, I was, I was able to focus more on the craft itself and, and, and the product would kind of eventually take care of itself. I wasn't worried about the end thing so much as like, just, I want to kind of make sure I can convey it exactly how I wanted to. Um, and that's how I was able to kind of really, I just develop my sense of, of voice, I guess. 
Yeah, it's like what specifically is every element of this invoking or evoking, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, and how am I crafting that? And that ties in so well to my career in design. And mm-hmm. part of the reason, and I was texting Mike about this earlier this week, um, that for me, maybe naively, AI isn't as threatening to design maybe as it is to art because our perception of, of art is so rooted in kind of the, the creation, right, the, right. The, the physical skill. Whereas my job is still very translational. It's still very, um, very synthesis oriented. And so AI is great for outputting all of these vast ideas it's like the divergent thinking aspect of it but it's not super good yet at the convergent thinking um and so that's it's like up to me still to pick and pull and and craft a story that has value in the same way that i would write a poem in the same way that i would you know approach an art piece um this is sort of tangential but one thing that was really surprising to me coming into design education going to like art school in general was i think we tell kids that are going into the creative arts like if you're good at art if you're if you can draw a thing you should go to art school and i was really good in high school at you know i take a picture and i recreate it on a piece of paper and i <laughs> art school i got to design school and that's not <laughs> what what I have to do at all? It's like uh, it's 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 far more um, purely creative than that. It's it's synthesizing information into uh, something that solves a problem and solves a problem hopefully in in a way that's emotionally appealing. Um, and that is, I think, where despite or um, in conjunction with AI, there's still value for artists and there's still value for designers. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got a story. Now, now that I said I've got a story, I, I have to tell it, but I don't really want to tell it because it's so it's so far tangential. I just talked to another artist friend of, of of my wife's that was just talking about his his value is that he's always been able to be open and see possibilities where others can't. And like his, his, I mean, he was like I. I went to, uh, I think the Art Institute in Chicago for his undergrad, and then started a company. Um, but he, he mostly consults and he's brought in to like, kind of rethink stuff because people just can't see, you know, I think it, so kind of like short, short story. Um, and this might be, might be a final question for you, David. I think we're up, um, up around yeah, 40 minutes or so with your design brain and the idea of what was the acronym you used that was like too advanced. Oh yeah. Maya, most advanced yet acceptable. Maya, most advanced yet acceptable. Um, so I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the idea of like, um, kind of the synthesis of trying to get something st- structured or created in the way that is the most useful, pragmatic, wh- whatever. What, what do you think of the design of your K through 12 experience? Hmm. Like education design. Feels um, like there wasn't much. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wait, was was it was it like taken out of it? Was the humanity taken out of it, like Chat GPT? Or, I mean, in a way, yeah. Um, it's funny. I I got. I think I got a great K through twelve education, right? Yeah, obviously. Um, but for me, it was very much like what I chose to pick and pull in terms of 
importance out of that and how I mm -hmm. kind of crafted that experience. It didn't feel like that was targeted in any way, um, which you can't, you know, target an experience for every single student in a way that's valuable. Well, maybe AI can actually. Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it didn't feel, it was very one size fits all. Um, and the size fit me, right? Uh, but it, it doesn't for everyone if you don't have the, um, uh, if you're not interested in making it fit for you. Or you don't have the capacity to be interested in making it fit for you. Is maybe well, yeah, right. Yeah, that's some, sometimes the trick you have to do. Is you have to you have to figure out how to make it fit for you, right? Is that called mm -hmm. gamification? All right. Um, thank you for coming in. Um, I think I think the the, the the I think the design stuff. The past three episodes has been super enlightening um, for me. I hope for others listening to this podcast. Um, the kind of the kind of push pull between the 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 art and the design factor, the aesthetics, the pragmatics, uh, the pragmatics, and the emotion, right? Um, where does that where does that sit with artists versus designers? Like, where does the art begin and end? Um, a lot of people are in kind of a shift, but it, it sounds to me like one of the one of the strong cases for being uh, being able to think like a designer is that your ability to synthesize and and be open and and see things from all angles which which seems to me to be like a really great life skill to have um anything else you want to add dave david yeah i mean we, we try we try as best we can um to, to be open-minded and uh, we're constantly challenging as designers and I think hopefully getting better as the design world continues to get more diverse. Um, but yeah, I think it's just an important element. And uh, we, we continue to, to bring that through this AI revolution. Thanks so much. Right. Thanks for uh, thanks for zooming with us. Bot brother. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> All right. That's the show. If you like this show, if you like our guests, give us some stars, follow us, like us, share. And now you can subscribe. We got our own YouTube channel, Bot Brothers AI for Educators on YouTube. We're on Twitter at the Bot Brothers. Gmail, the Bot Brothers AI at Gmail. Pat runs a Facebook group called the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. Fantastic place to get hold of us there. But if you know anyone who you think would be a good guest or if you have a topic you want us to examine, please drop us a line at any of those above aforementioned links. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. <laughs>